a scripture passage for this evening, but I want to make an announcement because apparently I misspoke. Gail Van Kuyken has told me that the songs for next Sunday have already been chosen, and I'm sure that they are good ones. So uh, disregard what I said earlier about letting us know what song you wanted to choose. Um, we're going to be looking at New Testament scripture, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 40. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 40. So if you have your Bibles, um, or you want to pull up the scripture passage on your computer or your device, wherever you're watching, please do so now. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 40. Hear now the greeting of God's holy word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence." Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. 
But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is the reading of God's word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 25 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 25 in the Heidelberg Catechism which is about the word and the sacraments. So it's question and answer 65 through 68. And here now the, the reading of these question and answers from Lord's Day 25 in the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 65 says, You confess that by faith alone you share in Christ and all his blessings. Where does that faith come from? The answer is, the Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it through our use of the Holy Sacraments. Question 66 says, what are sacraments? And the answer is, sacraments are holy signs and seals for us to see. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the Gospel and might put a seal on that promise. And this is God's Gospel promise to forgive our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone because of Christ's one sacrifice finished on the cross. Question 67 asks, Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? And the answer is right. In the gospel, the Holy Spirit teaches us, and through the holy sacraments, he assures us that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. And question 68 says, how many sacraments did Christ institute in the New Testament? And the answer is two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's the teaching of the catechism. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, enlighten us by your word that we may come to understand how you work through your Holy Spirit, the preaching of your word, and the administration of the sacraments to strengthen, encourage And build up our faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, many of you um, are probably familiar with, uh, and maybe even, avid gardeners. You like to plant flowers. 
It's getting to be about that time when we start uh, going out and, uh, and, and, and planting flowers, planting gardens, uh, and uh, we're getting excited about that, although Illinois weather likes to play with us sometimes, and uh, it, it's really nice. It's like 65 degrees, and the next day it's snowing, right? Um, but uh, if you're gardeners, then you, you're familiar with, uh, with the tools that you use to garden, right? And I want to think particularly tonight about um, water. How do you water your plants in a garden? Um, now, most of us probably don't use um, a little pail and, and go, out, go around pouring water on plants unless we've got uh, potted hanging plants or whatever that may be. But for a garden, you use a hose, right? Um, so you've got, you've got a hose that you use for uh, watering your plants. Uh, but that hose is useless by itself, isn't it? You have to have a faucet, a water source, right? And you hook your hose up to your faucet to, uh, to bring it over to your plants. I'm a horrible plant drawer, so I'm doing the best I can. Uh, this is your flower. It's a sunflower, okay? And you use your hose to bring water to your plants. And I'm using this analogy for a reason because we're talking about how God creates faith in us um, and how God strengthens that faith in us. And he does so, does so by the Spirit and the Word. So if we are looking at this analogy, if we're looking at this image, the faucet is the source, right? And the hose, my horrible attempt at drawing a hose, the hose is the means. And the plant, the plant is the recipient. So you've got to hook the hose up to the source. And therefore, the hose is simply the means by which the source, the water, makes it to the recipient. It's not a perfect analogy, but in the Christian faith, in our journey, uh, in this analogy, the faucet is the spirit. The means are the word and the sacraments. And the plant is us. We're the recipients. We're the recipients. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. The way God creates faith in us and strengthens it. So our theme this evening, God, the Holy Spirit, works through the means of grace. God the Holy Spirit works through the means of grace. And we're going to be looking at three points tonight. 
The first is the source and strengthening. The source and strengthening of our faith. And this is going to be the same phrase here on the second point. So this is, we'll put the sign and seal of our faith. And then lastly, the Savior is the focus. Of our faith. So the source and strengthening, the sign and seal, and the Savior. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So let's look at this first point the source and strengthening of our faith. Question 65 says You confess that by faith alone, right? You confess that by faith alone. You share in Christ and all his blessings. Where does that faith come from? So the question of source is, where does this faith come from? And the answer that Reformed Christians have for this question is different than other kinds of Christians. The source of that faith is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts. The Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts. There's an interesting phrase, or an interesting scripture passage in the book of Philippians that I want us to look at that illustrates this. It's, very, it's at the very beginning of Philippians. And this is what it says. If I could find it. <laughs> I know it is in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 29, okay? Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says this. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says it's been granted to us to believe. Therefore, the ability to have faith is not one that fallen humanity is capable of. It is a granting to us that allows us to have faith. And that granting is because of the enabling of the Holy Spirit. So the source of our faith is the Holy Spirit. It produces the Holy Spirit. He produces it in our hearts. But listen to the second phrase of the answer to this question. By the preaching of the gospel. 
In Romans 10, Paul says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if you look in the New Testament, you'll find all kinds of scripture passages that illustrate this truth. Romans chapter 1 says something about this as well. It says, Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First, for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So, uh, preaching of the gospel is the way in which we come to have faith. But that faith is the Holy Spirit by the preaching of the gospel. The source of that faith is the Holy Spirit using the means of grace. The Holy Spirit works through the means of grace. And when we say means of grace, we mean the word of God and the sacraments. The Holy Spirit produces faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel, right? But what about this word strengthening? The second phrase of the catechism question says, confirms it. Strengthening is just another way of saying confirming, confirms it. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and strengthens it through our use of the sacraments. I chose Acts chapter 2, uh, the moment of Pentecost, because I believe it's illustrative of this point. God the Holy Spirit works through the means of grace. Um, this isn't apparent on the surface of the text. But if you read it, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out. We read of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples. Uh, landing like, like uh, flaming tongues on the disciples. Um, and they are then speaking in tongues. Uh, the Holy Spirit then brings Peter to preach the gospel. That's what Peter's doing. And he, Peter preaches the first uh, sermon of Pentecost, and he preaches it to his audience about Christ, about salvation, about what the, the death and resurrection of Christ has accomplished, right? And therefore, then, the people respond, because the Spirit is there, the Spirit is working through the means of grace, through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit is creating faith in the people, by the preaching of the gospel. But what's the very next thing that happens, right? They say, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, there is a response to the creation of faith by the preaching of the gospel. And it's the confirmation or the strengthening of the faith by the use of the sacraments, and particularly in this passage, that of baptism. Now, some people have looked at this passage and said, does that not mean that you don't receive the Holy Spirit until you've been baptized? Well, if you look further into the book of Acts in chapter 10, the very reverse thing happens 
when Peter goes to preach to Cornelius' family, he's preaching, and while he's preaching, they receive the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they begin speaking in tongues, and then Peter says they should be baptized. So what happens is faith is created in us, produced in our hearts by the Holy Spirit's use of the preaching of the gospel, and then it's confirmed in us, confirmed or strengthened in us by the use of the sacraments. Um, particularly baptism and the Lord's Supper. So let's look at the second point then together. The second point is the sign and seal of our faith. What are the sacraments? That's a really good question. Honestly, that is a very good question because a lot of people who are not uh, used to the language that we use would be uh, maybe even put off by this terminology, sacraments. It, found, it sounds very, uh, very Catholic, right? Um, other churches call these ordinances. Ordinance is just another word for a command, right? Christ has commanded us to... Uh, have the Lord's Supper, Christ has commanded us to baptize. Um, we call them sacraments in our tradition. What are they? And the answer is sacraments are holy signs and seals for us to see. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and might put a seal on that promise. So uh, the significant word in this phrase, this answer, is um, they are the signs and seals for us to see. For us to see. What the sacraments are is God seeing us in our frailty. And in our weaknesses, knowing that we are dust and reaching down to us in grace. What, what does that mean? It means that these signs and seals of our faith that are for us to see are basically visible. The visible word. They are not something different in essence from the word. They are visible depictions of that word. They are the visible word to us. They are the visible word that God has given us so that we can see, not only read, not only hear, what God has done for us through the gospel so that we can see, so that we can feel, right? So that we can taste the truth of the gospel. That's what the sacraments are. They are the visible word. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might 
Stoop down to us in our weakness and make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel. And he might put his seal on that promise. So the sign aspect of this points to this, right? Signs are meant to be seen. An invisible sign doesn't make any sense. If you can't see the stop sign, then how are you going to know to stop, right? But the seal, the seal is a different aspect. This is God in the seal pushing or placing his promise upon us. Or his promise into us. This is God's gospel promise. The catechism says. To forgive our sins. And forgive us. And give us eternal life. By grace alone. Because of Christ's one sacrifice. Finished on the cross. So when we hear the word. God the Holy Spirit is working through the word to teach us that we have been forgiven our sin, of our sins, we've been given the gift of eternal life, and that by grace alone, because of Christ's one sacrifice, finished on the cross. And then when we see the word in the sacraments, God is sealing to us that promise, the promise to forgive our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone, because of Christ's one sacrifice, finished on the cross. And so when we are gathered together and we see the baptism of a believer, adult believer, we see the baptism of our children or a child, what we're seeing is the sign that God is to forgive our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone because of Christ's own sacrifice finished on the cross. And that God is sealing to that child or that adult promise to forgive their sins and give them eternal life by grace alone because of Christ when sacrifice finished on the cross if they will believe if they will have faith and when we gather together and participate and partake of the Lord's Supper which I am so very much missing right now and can't wait until we can have again that fellowship feast, that koinonia, that communion of the Lord's Supper. When we are partaking of the bread and the cup, we are tasting and seeing that God has promised uh, to forgive us our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone because of Christ's one sacrifice finished on the cross. God the Holy Spirit works through the means of grace, works through the word and the sacraments works through the sign and seal of the sacraments, the visible word, the word made visible to us, the word that we can taste, feel, touch, to strengthen our faith, to confirm it to us. Well, let's look at this final point, right?
Savior of our faith. Question 67 says, Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? So, the conversation here is important because in the discussion about the sacraments, we can begin to think that we should displace the object of our faith, the focus or the object of our faith. And we should make the sacraments themselves salvific in nature. Other church traditions have done this. At the time of the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism, this was the case in the Catholic Church. That baptism itself, baptism by itself saved. That the Mass, partaking of the Mass itself saved, right? And that these things were salvific in, in and of itself. They did not have to be attached to anything else. They were alone, sufficient. And so you had to be baptized in order to be saved. You had to participate in the Mass in order to be saved. The Heidelberg Catechism is pushing back against that. It's saying... Are you telling me that both the word and the sacraments are intended to focus our faith upon the true object of our faith? Jesus Christ on the cross, his sacrifice, the only ground, the only ground, the only basis of our salvation. And the answer is yes, right, correct, correct mundo! exclamation point. In the gospel, the Holy Spirit teaches us and through the Holy Sacraments, he assures us that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. Our salvation is not found in the Word alone. The Word is not some sort of magical incantation that if you say the right words in order, presenting the gospel message, it will just always work perfectly. Boom, bang, that person is saved. It's this spell. I cast this spell. I cast that spell. The Word is not that. The sacraments are not that. They are not magical incantation things that we do, that when we participate in the Lord's Supper, boom, bang, boom, they just works like that. Or, or when we have a baptism, boom, bang, boom, it just works like that. That's not what the sacraments are. It's God, the Holy Spirit, working through the Word. Working through the sacraments. And God, the Holy Spirit, works through the Word and sacraments on the basis, on the ground. On the, it rests upon what Christ has accomplished. That our entire salvation from beginning to end rests not in the magical incantation of the gospel word, not in the magical incantation 
or, or act of the sacraments, but in Christ's one sacrifice for, on, for us on the cross. Without Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross, the word and the sacraments mean nothing. And without faith created in us by the Holy Spirit using the preaching of the Holy Gospel, the sacraments mean nothing to us. The Savior of our faith is the focus of our faith. Back to that guard and analogy, right? The faucet is the source, the hose is the means. And the plants that we water in our garden, they are the recipients. But the hose, by itself, it means nothing. It accomplishes nothing. The hose must be connected to the faucet. The faucet must be turned on. The water must be flowing through the hose in order to water the plants. The faucet is the Holy Spirit poured out on that day of Pentecost. The hose is the word of God that Peter preached on that day of Pentecost. In the sacraments that Peter proclaimed, those who believe in his word should receive. And we are the plants. We are the recipients. God, the Holy Spirit, works through the means of grace. And how do you receive the grace of God as a believer? You receive it primarily through the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. That is how God gives us his grace. And I pray this evening that as you've heard the preaching of God's word, you would have received the grace that he gives to you through the Holy Spirit, working in and through those means. And I pray and I long for the day when we can gather again together as God's people here in this sanctuary and receive the means of grace in the Lord's Supper and see another baptism. These are beautiful things that God has done for us. He didn't have to give us the sacraments. He did so because he loves us and he knows our weaknesses. He knows how important it is for us to be able to see, feel, touch, taste what he has done for us in Jesus Christ.
God, the Holy Spirit, works through the means of grace. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you have given us such a great salvation in Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us. in this season and these days ahead. Help us to know your grace. To Christ's name we pray. Amen.